Welcome to the podcast. Um, We're so excited to have Emily Schilt here. For most of you who live in New York or anywhere where there's a pop-up grocer, she is the founder, also known as Chief Eating Officer of (laughs) Pop-Up Grocer. Um, If you haven't been, it's one of the most beautifully curated stores that basically houses cool, innovative brands that you've probably seen on your TikTok and Instagram feeds. Everything is in one place and it's really focused on discovery and exploration, which is a huge stray from the current grocery store experience, which isn't always so pleasant. Um, She's also a four-time entrepreneur, a former brand consultant to some of the most notable brands like Chobani, Kind, Ugly, an extroverted introvert, and so much more, which we're excited (laughs) to dig into this podcast in this podcast. So welcome, Emily. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Goodness, thank you for the wonderful introduction. <laughs> yeah, I didn't, of course. I didn't remember I was all of those things. So thank you. You were all like, those things at once. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I actually know Emily because we worked together at Appear Here when I was at Appear Here. Um, and we did your pop-up in Williamsburg. Didn't we do two pop-ups with you? Uh, several. Yeah. Not just in New York. Yeah. Oh, Yes. The traveling pop, Austin, maybe Chicago, LA. Can't, can't yeah, recall. and a lot of the brands <laughs> that I also work with are featured in Pop Up Grocer. So just very familiar with the brand and Emily. We think super highly of you, and we're just so excited for you to be here with us. So we always start our first question with. What is your definition of fulfillment, and what is your definition of success, and then if they're intertwined at all. So you start with a very simple Super question. simple. Super simple. <laughs> um, goodness. No pressure. What is my sense of fulfillment? I guess I would just base it off of a feeling, like a day to day. I like my every day to be enjoyable. I think that's why I love living in New York so much, because there's just so much human interaction here, and that really gives me a sense of fulfillment. Uh, but there's a lot of diversity in my everyday too. And I, anyway, but um, yeah, I just, I like to be happy is a, ter- is a terribly generic word, but I like to feel like I'm engaged every day. Like I'm very active and present. And so if I'm feeling that way, I feel as if I'm fulfilled. So what do you do to like foster? I mean, I actually love New York for exactly the same reasons. Like I think it forces you to kind of be present and you're kind of alone together. It's also easy to be distracted in any city, but especially New York. What do you do to like foster that presence and make sure you're not, I mean, I've definitely been the person like crossing the street, looking at my phone and being like all over the place. Yeah. Well, I have rules around that. I will say, I think whenever I'm feeling very anxious, uh, I notice that my phone use gets out of control. I think it's like Mm -hmm. what we were talking about before the podcast a little bit about like doing, doing, doing as a means of perhaps distraction from the feelings that you're feeling. So uh, I do have a tendency to do that, but I try to have strict rules around that. I really try to like actually be where I am. So if I'm on the train, I try to be on the train and observe those around me also commuting um, or be at the farmer's market and chat with the vendors. I actually have this really um, silly rule that I love. Um, and now I just sound like a rigid person with a whole bunch of rules, but that is probably not far from the truth, if you know me. Um, I uh, go, walk from East 10th Street to West 10th Street every day. 
Okay. And I try to say hi to at least six people uh, within that walk. And they're usually, you know, doormen of buildings or someone who's doing some construction work. Um, So people that I might not ordinarily have an interaction with either. And that really fills my cup. Yeah, there's something about New York's energy that can really like lift you up. I got here yesterday and my house was robbed like while I was on the plane and I was in such a bad mood. And then I woke up like the next day and I was just so happy. Like New York just like lifted me up. And I think it's a true testament to the energy of the city. And like it makes you feel alive and the interactions that you have with countless people. You just have to make sure that you're present for it, right? Yeah. Like I, I'm from Montreal originally and I grew up where you walk on the street and everyone says, good morning. And here when I moved here, I was like rude awakening. Like <laughs> everyone has like headphones in, like somewhere to be yeah. on their phone. And I'm still the one saying like, good morning. And no one is like answering me. That's yeah. so funny because I actually find that New York York is far more friendly than LA. And my my theory is that because LA everyone's in their cars, they're mm-hmm. not used to human interaction. They're used to just being alone. Yeah. And like when you speak to someone on the street in LA, sometimes it's like, why are you homeless? Why are you speaking to me? Like it's like yeah. very strange. Yeah. Whereas in New York, I feel like everyone's talking to each other and like, but that's because you have to be with people. Like that's yeah. what So how is it being an introvert in a city like New York? <laughs> <laughs> really great because I can be alone but surrounded by people which I think is where the mm-hmm. what did I call, call myself extroverted extroverted, extroverted. Introvert. <laughs> like I um I wrote this piece uh sorry I feel like these things are falling off I wrote this piece <laughs> I think you um, can tighten them if you need to yeah it's okay I actually kind of have a big head so I'm surprised that they're loose <laughs> I did I had I wore the largest um graduation cap in college out of like really? my entire class. about Emily guys <laughs> wow I know huge head there's not much in there but um <laughs> but the exterior is large um Like I used to do this thing. I still very much eat out alone, but I used to do it with much more rigidity where I would take myself out to dinner every Thursday. I called it it solo date night, SDN. And I loved that experience because I would not be on my phone. I would intentionally, you know, not listen to a podcast or do anything other than just like have dinner, be there for that experience, engage with the people who happen to sit next to me at the bar, talk to the bartender. So I love in New York that you can be alone, but you can be open to encounters. And those encounters are usually one-on-one, which is, you know, one-to-one or one-to-two maybe, which I'm much better suited for than uh, like a one-to-five or or five-to-five. I don't know, like a large group of a party is like not really my scene I like chatting like we are Mm -hmm. yeah but how do you deal with that when you like maybe it's not part of your job but I know as a founder I went to so many different events or when you're fundraising or you're pitching or you're working with brands dinner series things like that how do you deal with like that wanting to kind of just be alone a bit while feeling like you kind of need to like portray your brand or pitch or whatnot I guess I'm a bad founder in that regard. <laughs> I am. I don't really do those things. Great. Yeah. Good for you. You're staying I true went to yourself. To an, yeah. I mean, I went to a networking event this morning, but that's really because I've like been on myself thinking that maybe I should do more of those things. But also like I've, I don't know, I'm starting to say I've been successful, but like I've been successful to this point without doing much of that stuff. So like maybe that's just a pressure, I, an external pressure I feel unnecessarily because everyone else around me is doing that. Mm-hmm. I will say this morning, like, you know, I saw some people that I know and I 
was inspired by some of the speakers on the panel. It got me thinking about things that I hadn't before. So I definitely found it rewarding and enriching and altogether like a good thing to do. But yeah, I don't really do much of that, to be honest. Did you always kind of like put your core authenticity first and not subscribe to like the status quo or like what society is saying around you? Like, were you always able to have that in you? Because I think for Jasmine and I, you know, when we were living in New York, we really like somehow drifted into like society's version of fulfillment, society's version of success, society's version of like, you know, go, go, go. And sometimes swayed a little bit away from like our true selves. And I think in coming back to LA where it was a little bit calmer, we were finally able to just get more in touch with like who we are behind all of the layers um, and like come back to our authentic self. So I would love to hear more of like how you stay true to yourself in a city that's always telling you better or more like hamster wheel. Yeah. I I don't know, which I guess means <laughs> yes. Like I just don't really buy into that. Like I don't think more is more. Um and I will say like recently it's kind of been a struggle for me cuz I'm somewhat newly in a relationship with someone who works all the time. What does he do? Um he does like three different jobs. So a lot of his day, just, I think out of sheer nature of that, maybe he would have more balance if he had one job, (laughs) which, you know, would be cool. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, I I feel a little pressure when witnessing that level of dedication and devotion to his work. We were watching Chef's Table (laughs) last night, which I don't think chefs are necessarily like the founders to um, mirror my work-life balance after. But (laughs) You know, they're incredibly dedicated to their craft. This Mm -hmm. episode we were watching, you know, he spent uh, years like planting this one particular seed and cultivating it and understanding how to use it in dishes and like blah, blah, blah. I just was like, oh, my God, I what am I doing? Like, I am a fraud. Like, I am not committed to anything that much. And then also like, what's the point (laughs) if you're not dedicated to something that much? Like, did I pick the wrong thing? Anyway, so I do often sort of second guess myself. I would be lying if I said that I didn't in terms of like, am I doing enough? But at the end of the day, maybe I just don't have it in me to do that much. And like I said, I feel like I've been seeing enough fruits of the labor that I am putting in to not really feel as if um, more would produce more. Right. If it were, I just, (laughs) I don't know. I'm (laughs) passing it up. Well, I'm... From the outside, it seems like you're doing a lot and you're doing great things. We were just talking about how New York has no healthy food options. It's like really difficult to just, obviously we're very spoiled by LA, like probably to a different, maybe to an unhealthy degree, um, pun intended. But so without that like real commitment, how do you open a store? Like Like what you did is not people are scared to go into retail right now, especially after the pandemic. In general, they're scared. We saw that appear here. How do you, like without that, you know, you're talking about, you're like, yeah, I'm just not that. But it's like, how do you get through those doubts? Like, how do you not give up then? Yeah. I mean, I really enjoy challenge. Uh, I don't intend to be bored. I really want to live my life with a sense of adventure. And I'm just not really that scared of failing, I guess. I think if anything, I've learned the past couple of years too, that like the worst will happen and you will find a way through. So. Yeah, if it all goes up in flames, 
I'm not really that terrified of that. Where did you learn that? <laughs> yeah, to, yeah, where did that? Where did it come from resilience. that you're not not uh, fearful of failing? I don't know. So fear doesn't play too much of a part of in your life? No, not really. How about in your personal life? Do you find yourself like not that fearful of things? <laughs> and what did your parents do so right? Yeah, no, no, no. My parents did everything wrong, which is maybe <laughs> what it's about. It's like I didn't really come from... I, I hate to make my my childhood sound um, horrendous. It wasn't, but it wasn't very stable and it wasn't very lovely. And I feel like what I've created for myself in my adult life is 100 times better and fulfills me. And I just, I get so much out of it that, yeah, maybe there's some sense of like, well, that, that was, I mean, I don't think it was the worst again, but like, I don't know. I've also just worked so hard, I think, to create a better life um, in adulthood. So I really enjoy it. I enjoy my relationships. I enjoy my friendships. I enjoy, I have a really good foundation, I think, mm -hmm. uh, and, and a foundation with myself. I mean, I was single. I've been single forever. This is like my, the first relationship I've ever been in really, which I had a lot of like shame around for so long, but I spent a lot of time with myself intentionally. And I really enjoy myself. I really quite like myself. And so maybe that has to do with it. I don't think I have so much ego in my profession. I don't have so much identity in it. Like, I really hope that it's successful. And I think that I'm doing uh, things that will perhaps leave the world a little better than I found it. But if it fails, it doesn't mean that I failed. That's one of the most important mindsets, I think, yeah, to have that's for sure. Incredible. Like that's so I feel like that's something that we talk about on our podcast a lot is like not identifying with what you're doing and not identifying with failure. But on the flip side, do you identify with success? Yeah, I think coming from the upbringing that I did have, which was very independent, um, my sister has a, a terminal illness, actually, and so she got a lot of attention. And um, just by nature, there wasn't a whole lot of space for me. Uh, and so I do get a lot of validation uh, externally, mm -hmm. <laughs> which is a you motivating mean? thing that's good for the business. But I personally feel kind of icky about it. I wish that that weren't the case. So I've forgotten your question, but I guess if that totally went away, I I would probably be looking to fulfill that in some other way. I would I would want people to see me. Yeah, I guess I would just be I would be seeking that somehow. Yeah. Well, I think it's very human. Is that part of your definition of success? Oh, the external validation? Yeah. I want to say that it's not. But I feel like it probably is a gauge that I use as to like how successful I'm being. Mm -hmm. Yeah, or I how much success I've attained. What would you say your definition of success is? Hmm. I mean, if I'm thinking about it in the professional sense, I think it would be to build something that like actually matters to other people and improves their lives or lifts them up in some way. Uh, I would love for a pop-up grocer to be that for people beyond the transaction of like selling them groceries. Like I think we create a really happy space, a really joyful one. Um, and we try to lift people up, founders uh, in the process, underrepresented groups in the process. So I think actually achieving that would be success for me, for all of those parties to feel a little better through the process of doing that. 
So it seems like there's a strong like community aspect to your versions of success and fulfillment. Yeah. Um, has community been something that's like always been important for you in your life? Like you mentioned, like you created your own foundation here and like really like set yourself up for success. And I'm sure community played a huge role in that. Yeah, I think by nature of growing up as a pretty like solo independent person, I've had to really seek out Mm -hmm. others and build that for myself. Um, I don't really have strong relationships in my family. So I had to create my own sense of family. And yeah, I'm, I'm really very grateful actually for having um, to have done that. And I actually think that starting Pop-Up Grocer for me, as sort of odd as it is, is like an introvert um, was really creating a people business, was wanting to create a place where people belong, Mm -hmm. where I felt I belonged, but also like, you know, by nature of doing that where other people could feel that as well. Uh, And that, you know, is at the core of um, our approach to inclusivity. Yeah, because you really have brought together some of the most amazing brands all under one roof, which creates its own community in itself. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and day to day you have people coming in and out, which is, and also doing that because you were traveling, right? You were doing it in different cities. You're meeting all different types of people. and yeah. And the permanent space is like so cool for me now because we have locals and regulars who come in and like I just love chatting with them and kissing babies and touching dogs and, um, you know, until the health department shuts that down. (laughs) Uh, It's really very nourishing for me. Yeah, No, I can imagine. So as someone who used to be, and correct me if I'm wrong, as someone who used to be kind of like more of this, like dabble in so many different things, like you were a brand consultant for many different brands. You had your own passion projects, startups on the side. You were doing kind of like a lot of things. I like to call it like the explorer type, which Mm -hmm. I think Jasmine and I also have. For someone who is used to doing so many things, like wearing so many different hats, using different parts of your brain to now be, you know, the CEO and founder of Pop-Up Grocer, like how was that transition for you? to doing like more of like one thing and that like one title versus not. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I think the myth of starting, or maybe it's not a myth, but I didn't know this. (laughs) It's like starting your own business. Like, okay, I was like, uh, you know, I'll start a grocery business, which I don't even think I had it uh, had this level of like intent, uh, when I started it, but okay, I'll start a grocery business. We will highlight the best and buzziest brands under one roof that'll be really fun and fulfilling for me because I'll just get to do the thing that I love, which is source and curate and interact with these founders. Well, that's no longer what I do, <laughs> you know? And so like when I was a brand marketing consultant, sure, I was actually strategizing and interacting with these companies and helping them put those strategies into place. But I was also doing so many administrative responsibilities just to keep the business afloat. And, you know, a large part of my days were spent trying to create a pipeline of clients. And so, you know, you just don't have the freedom and liberty as a founder to invest all of yourself into the thing that you like doing because you have to actually like operationalize um, and finance the business. So I think it's hard for me now because I feel like I'm a founder and CEO, but I don't wholly feel qualified to be doing the job that I'm doing either, you know, like Like imposter syndrome. um, Yeah, right. I'm just like, I'm here. 
by nature of, I think I got them on now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here by nature of, of having an idea. Um, but like, am I the right person to actually run that idea? I think generally I have yet to meet a female founder. And I'm saying female founder because those are the people I have more intimate conversations with yep. about these vulnerabilities. But I have yet to meet one that has not struggled with imposter syndrome, myself included. Like yeah. I feel totally unqualified. And when I was raising money, I was like, I'm stealing people's money. Like I have no idea what I'm doing. But I think in the end of the day, like taking comfort in the fact that truly no one knows what they're doing. Yeah. Like Elon yeah. Musk doesn't know what he's doing. Yeah. He's just really good at faking at it and, it. and yeah. kind of like showing the world that like, you know, he's got it. So he yeah. exudes like kind of this like trust, which yeah. gains credibility. Right. Um, so I think for me, how I handled imposter syndrome was always this like fake it till you make it type thing. And then you make it to like one level, like, and then you have to fake it till you make it again. It's like, you never truly make it because mm -hmm. you, you just keep up leveling yourself, but you do master certain like confidence skills, like along the way yeah. that you did not have before. Yeah. But I think it's something really, that's really hard yeah. as a founder. Yeah. I mean, that exuding that level of confidence, whether it's genuine or rehearsed is a skill. Um, and it's one that I wish I had like 10% of it. But I, it's, it's also, there's also this tension between the fact that like, I really pride myself on being a quite genuine person. Mm -hmm. So I just, I can't put it on, you know, I, I don't want to, I don't want to spend my days putting it on. Yeah. And I think that's a part of your charm, right? Like, I think we really connected when we worked together because I was like, oh, she's like so easy to talk to. And like, we were all discussing this before we started recording, but like the level of delusion that some founders or, you know, whatever it mm -hmm. is have that does get them ahead. And it's like, wow, it's so enviable. It's like, wow. But ultimately, if that's not true to you, yeah. people can also smell that too, mm -hmm. I think, in some yeah. sense. Yeah. And I think as being a founder, you really need to lead into your magic and you can't try to pretend that you have it all figured out, but you can focus on your strength and show what you're good at. Mm -hmm. And so, Emily, part of your magic is that, right? Being your authentic self, working in the ways that you work well and not going to all these events because it just doesn't serve you. Like <laughs> you just like your, your, your working style is your own. And that's like beautiful in its own way because it's gotten you thus far. And I believe like you're going to be super successful. Right. And I think everyone has their own attributes and it's about how do we cut out the noise of what society is telling us we need to be instead take that energy and focus on yeah. our own magic. Yeah. 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 It sounds like you're really good at drowning out noise. Maybe literally. Yeah, but maybe that's also because I'm not really putting myself as much in the spheres of noise as other people. Like, I'm not really a consumer of social media. I'm like a total narcissist when it comes to my use of social media, I guess. I like love to post about myself, you know. But you don't. <laughs> but I don't, but I don't consume. But that actually is, so Jeff Bezos, obviously controversial character. Yeah. <laughs> um, not to compare take, you. I don't want to take after. <laughs> not uh, to compare. No, yeah. but he did have, whenever he stepped down a few years ago or whatever it was, these shareholder letters. And at the end of the day, listen, he's obviously a controversial character, et cetera, but like he has created something pretty remarkable. Mm -hmm. He must have something to teach us. And one of his last shareholder letter as CEO was about creating more than you consume mm -hmm. and how creating more than you consume is what will keep you in your individuality and your uniqueness and allow you to shine in a world that rewards sameness. Mm -hmm. And so like to some degree, like I've had 
therapist or this or that person be like, why don't you post, mm-hmm. you know, the podcast and don't don't look at anyone else's things? Yeah. And that's, you know, I think like that sounds like something you're naturally doing, but that's, I think that is probably a healthier way to engage with yeah. social media. Yeah, for sure. I mean, one look at my boyfriend's TikTok, which we probably don't want to know, like, how his algorithm populated <laughs> these videos. But, like, I was like, oh, my gosh, now I understand why I look around and all these women are dressing the same. It's oh, because it's... all of these videos are advertising more or less the same style. Like, how is anyone supposed to have style anymore? I've, like, This has been my thing forever. I always talk about she this. She always brings this up on a podcast. I always am like, <laughs> what would my style be like if I didn't have social media? Because yeah. I was like a kid. I remember when I was like 12 or 11, I would, we'd go to New York as a family and I would beg my mom to take, I would Google or I don't even know if it was Google, whatever it was, figure out where the Olsons, you know, would, would vintage shop. <laughs> uh-huh. And I'd be like, we're going to New York. Can we please go? And I would like drag my mom there. And I was like, that's like such a cute anecdote yeah where is that person like who like yeah what would that person dress like mm-hmm. today because we're all so subconsciously influenced by our distractions right. whether that's the city we live in the people we hang out with yeah. social media like it's kind of impossible not to everyone's yeah. a lookalike yeah I mean right perhaps you would take inspiration from nature or a yeah. painting that you saw at the museum or that's why everyone's microdosing now <laughs> 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 to be like reconnect with other things. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, sure, maybe you would do that. Yeah. I don't know. It's actually really interesting that you post and not consume because I actually feel like I'm the opposite because <laughs> I don't really post ever, but I consume. And sometimes it's for inspiration and sometimes it's completely unhealthy. And mm-hmm. it's the mindless scrolling thing. Yeah. And Doom scrolling. I find that I don't exactly have such strong willpower. So what I do is I just delete the whole app for long periods versus like have it on my phone and then, you know, be able to say like, okay, Annabelle, you're only going on for half an hour a day or whatever it is. That is hard for me to do. So I just delete the whole thing. So I think it's actually quite healthy. You can post and like then yeah, not I think care what amazing. people think. Yeah. I have this app now called Opal and it cha- it targeted me on Instagram. Mm-hmm. So it knew, mm-hmm. but it targeted me, <laughs> but I downloaded it and it like, you can set boundaries. Like it's like a more intense and it's all about focus and flow state. Yeah. And it'll so like- So it's a more tur- intense screen time? Yes. Mm-hmm. And it'll, yeah. and you can obviously edit, but I'll be like, turn off all social apps from like 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. And you can take breaks, but something about the way they make you wait, like- 10 seconds before you can actually take the break makes you question if you actually need the break. Yeah. Because something I realized is like, which you kind of spoke about at the beginning of this, was I use, I think, texting people as a way to distract from my emotions. Mm. And I recently was going through a breakup, which now we're back together. (laughs) But but in that time, I was like, I downloaded Opal and I was like, oh, I actually don't, like, what if I just sat with my sadness versus trying to like, soothe through someone else or something else at at that point I don't even think you're actually speaking to the person on the other end you're just trying to find something to do that's Mm -hmm. not be with yourself Mm -hmm. you're in it for the dopamine hit yeah yeah Yeah. exactly I actually think texting sometimes can actually be worse than social Social media media because I was listening to a podcast I think on Skinny Confidential with Mona Vand and it was like when someone's texting you they're like 
coming into your home. It's like if someone kept ringing your doorbell and, you, you know, like they're coming in, it's like they're intruding and you're letting them every single time. Like, I don't have to respond right now. I will respond when I feel like it. But in our real-time society, I think a lot of us feel the need to get a text, to get an email, mm-hmm. anything that like comes into our inbox, we feel like we need to respond mm-hmm. right away. But who said we have to? No. Yeah. Who said? I also yeah. think you can call people if it's urgent. Yeah. People don't the use phone. the phone no, anymore. But they, but they do. I mean, I think if we limited our interactions in these other areas, they would be forced yeah. to. Also. I've literally said, like, I'll be like, I'm turning on Opal. Like, if you need me, call me. Like, I'm not ignoring you. I just don't. Yeah. Yeah. I miss the days where you would just, like, show up at your friend's house and ring the doorbell instead of, like, calling, making plans and this and that. Or, like, you would go to the movies and just, like, meet your friends there and not coordinate, like, what you're wearing, what yeah. snacks you're bringing, like, all the things. I feel like we lose out on this, like, spontaneity. Yeah. Well, not to make everything about how New York is better than L.A., but that's also <laughs> that's also why I love New York. Because, yeah. like, when I lived I in L.A., I felt like everything was—there was no spontaneity. Everything has to be planned. scheduled and planned. And, like, God forbid you go to pop by a restaurant and you can't get in. Well, then you have to go sit in your car and figure out where you're going to go next and drive 45 minutes. And then what if you can't get in there? Oh, I <laughs> like, completely everything agree. Everything is so hard. But I think spontaneity and I think friendships by nature of that or relationships in any way are a little bit more possible because it's like— we're all closer. We're all a 30-minute train ride. Um, yeah. I can't deny that, although I've been, like, really on the campaign of trying to, like, make myself love L.A. more, and I do. But, like, I a complete, I think that's one of the most special things about New York. It's like a college campus. Like, you run into people you know. You're like, oh, do you want to go get coffee? Do you want to go get a drink? Which So my theory is that not only is it the most spontaneous city, which makes it very romantic, it's also what makes it the most expensive city because you have no idea where your day is going to go. <laughs> right. It could be a $10 day. It could be I like go to a workout day. and then I get home at 11 and I'm like, I just met these people. We went to a drink. We went this, we did that. And it's like... You pop by a shop. You accidentally bought that top. Yes. Yeah. I don't have the discipline to be like, I got to go home. Yeah. So like LA does help me at the ripe age of 31, be, like, more yeah. <laughs> responsible. Yeah. But it's just so convenient. Everything It's, like, you can do anything at any time. Yeah. It's yeah. also, it's fun. Yeah. When you first moved here, was it a big adjustment for you in a city that's, like, so filled with stimulus? Mm. No. No. I think I gravitated toward New York pretty, like— yeah. Um, so adjustment was pretty easy. But I did work all the time when I first moved here. So I had like no friends. <laughs> I'm just telling you guys like the real me. I'm like, I had no friends. That's I had no boyfriend my whole about. life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just, I was such a workaholic. Um, and maybe that's also where I have some of my clarity is I'm just like, I will never do that to myself again because it felt so isolating and so cold. But yeah, I just, I didn't really make time. I didn't really have time or didn't make time is a, is a better way to say it, uh, for anything other than my job. And I also was in quite a senior position in that job, fairly young. So I made an intentional decision not to befriend any of my colleagues either. Whoa. So yeah. So it was just like, I was just by myself. So I really didn't experience New York. I feel like for the, maybe the first four or five um wow how long have you been here here. 11 when you well because you dipped out for a little a little little. yeah I went on the road with the store yeah how old were you when you moved I moved here when I was um 
three or tw- what? Did, how long did I? 24, I guess, because I'm 35. So, Okay. So I want to go back to your dating life mm. if you're comfortable. No, I'm <laughs> yeah, really yeah, curious. Yeah. And I think that that would resonate with a lot of people listening. And like, I was a little later to like having boyfriends as well. And I, I'm just curious as to like, what you think that was about and like do you, how did you like overcome that if it was like something you felt like you were blocking or sort of I just am curious about that because I think a lot of people especially women have shame around if they're you're single or not how long you're single how long your relationships last is there something I don't know if this was your experience but like is there something wrong with me yeah that it hasn't happened or it hasn't worked out yeah. it has happened or yeah. did I you know I don't know there's a lot and I also think on the other side You've been super committed to your career, and that's obviously paid off. Yeah. But, yeah, I would love to just hear more about that. Yeah. Um, I wish I had a straightforward answer. Um, I've been in therapy for, <laughs> for so long and shelled out <laughs> so much money to try to understand. I mean, I think everything goes back to your childhood, right? So yeah. I definitely think there was some belief in me that I wasn't worthy of love. I don't think that I was able to outwardly acknowledge that and maybe and start to approach how to resolve that for a really long time. But so I really just kept to myself, I think, because that belief was within me, maybe not at the surface, but it was definitely there. And then when nothing sort of happened naturally, which makes sense, like if you're keeping to yourself and you seem like you have it all figured out, you know, like good career, like I'm not really out there seeking, people probably just assume that I'm not interested in a relationship. So yeah, so it makes sense that I remain single. And then on top of that, though, by nature of being single, of course, I have all those questions. I'm like, oh my God, am I just like an ogre? Like, um, (laughs) uh, do I have a horrible personality? Like, am I not... uh, it's imposter syndrome again, but yeah. in a personal side. Yeah. yeah. And I so laugh. then that shame makes you even more it's a reserved. Cycle. I, think. I laugh yeah. only because I had the same exact experience. Like to this day, I was just telling Annabelle, like I sabotage relationships. That's why we broke up and got yeah. back together. Like yeah. I tend to have that tendency too. So I really relate, but yeah. to cut you off. No, but. no, no. Yeah. And I would totally sabotage anything that I, I mean, <laughs> I would sabotage anything that I got into, but like I would choose people who were just wrong for yeah, me, which, is which was a form of sabotage, like before mm-hmm. anything got started. But yeah, I mean, I was in a relationship for like six months or maybe like five months, something like that. And he never even saw my apartment. Like I also just created, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I also just created like incredible boundaries and walls that prevented me from allowing anyone to come in. I think to reinforce that belief that I have that I wasn't worthy of it. Like that is my story. And so I was doing everything possible to keep that true and so I did for yeah for a really a really long time yeah you unconsciously renew your story mm-hmm. and you're like even if this doesn't serve me I'm more comfortable being the yes. person that's has a bad personality maybe and doesn't deserve love than I am being like I deserve love yeah absolutely it's much easier to keep in your story than to rewire yeah, your brain exactly. to shift so otherwise. how did you end up shifting out of that because now you're, you're with your boyfriend you guys moved in together yeah which is exciting yeah I know such big girl things I'm only on like day two three of living together wow so. congrats <laughs> talk to we'll me later yes. how <laughs> long have you been right dating now. almost a year okay um, so yeah so I mean it's kind of fast I guess 
I feel like no, when you're I think older, though, great. it's so different. Yeah. Like so what changed? Like, what changed did you, was it a lot of, like, therapy and inner understanding of, like, that belief system that you had? Yeah. And I think the more and more I understood that my resistance was the problem, I'd resisted less. And so I'm only here because I just kept saying yes to things that were, like, incredibly uncomfortable to me. And I finally met someone who was really, like, not just, like, tolerant and patient, but, like, really willing and almost, like, excited to help me break down Aww. those barriers. Yeah. yeah. And help me work through, which is just such a, like, a, such a beautiful thing. I mean, I hope this thing lasts for a really long time or forever. I don't know if I believe in that, whatever. But even if it doesn't, like, that in and of itself is such just, like, a wonderful experience. Yeah. Did you, were you, like, vulnerable with him out the gates being like, this is something I struggle with? Or did he just sort of pick up on it and he's like, you're... Yeah, I think actually when we were chatting, we met on an app, of course, as one does so romantically these days. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think when we were chatting, actually, I just read... Oh, it has a great... It's actually a great book with like a horrible title. Why You'll Die Alone, I think. Why, like, I'll, why I'll Die Alone. Oh, I'll Die Alone. Oh, I've heard of that. You know what I'm talking about? It's really yeah. sad. Yeah, it does, <laughs> but it's like actually... A, it's actually like a good read. Okay. It basically outlines all of the things that you're doing wrong uh, in dating if you're truly trying to meet the right person. Okay, Um, so hopefully there's a humor aspect to this book. Yeah, 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 fully, fully. Um, And so I told told him that while we were chatting before we even met. So, like, when we first met, it was actually a conversation around, like, my challenges in finding. So he has some emotional intelligence. Yeah, yeah, not just, uh, like, blindly. No. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. No, finding that, we were just talking about this this morning about my boyfriend, who was just my ex, like, (laughs) oh. like a week ago yeah <laughs> but, um about this like inability to like to accept almost love yeah. right like it's like that resistance lives and I see it in my career I see it in a lot of aspects of my life I think it's interesting because you definitely had like a thriving career it sounds like you like didn't have as much resistance with that but within dating it Sometimes just happens. Yeah. I think it, for you, maybe, Emily, it was like a priority was your career, right? And like you wanted to go f- as far away from like the home life that you had had. Um, so you kind of put all of your energy into your career and making it for yourself and creating that foundation and your version of success and fulfillment that you may have neglected prioritizing more on the personal side and, and putting everything into like work. Yeah. Yeah. And like instability, maybe I think like I just really have always been, I know we haven't like talked about the money aspect of it either, but like I've always been really dedicated to making money. Like that is just because I didn't have a financially stable home really growing up in in many ways. So yeah, I think I just always was like, let me create a good like financial environment for myself. And then let me figure out like the other things. I also think I learned from my childhood that um, they do influence one another or like if you can create like a stable home through stable finance finances, then your relationships will likely be more stable as a result or something like that. So there was always sort of this like phase one, phase two for me. It's amazing, though, that you chose to do that yourself from like an independent standpoint that you didn't rely on someone else to provide you that stability. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. I have been disappointed on multiple occasions in my 30s being like, oh, my God, there's no like white horse coming. 
Like there is no <laughs> Prince Charming with fat pockets on his way. You yeah. know, like, yeah. this is my job. <laughs> yeah, uh, and but that that's is, healthy to some degree, right? Be, yeah. Only because I think the fallacy around leaning on someone else to do that. And my thing has been also, why can't you create that together? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And like be ideally, right, your partner and you are more powerful together mm-hmm. in creating that. Yeah, I think that I think that's tricky, but maybe that's also tricky in the right way. And that like then you're really looking for like a um, some of the qualities you would look for in a business partner, yeah. in a, in oh, a romantic partner. I don't know. I mean, this is the whole like Esther Perel thing. Like mm-hmm. we're asking for a village from one person, but like that would require that you are matched then with someone who's as ambitious as you as yeah. you or has the same motives as you for financial stability. Yeah, I definitely I think realize it's, I it's, prioritize that. Yeah, I also think like inherently so both my husband and I are entrepreneurs and inherently I feel like we're both each other's co-founders without the title of a co-founder because so much goes on behind the scenes at night at dinner at breakfast at night and like in bed right like talking about the issues that we face in our day and I also feel very privileged to be able to have that sounding board and not have you know maybe a husband who's like in finance and doesn't care about entrepreneurship or doesn't want to talk about it or like maybe his like brain just doesn't work that way. But being able to kind of like come home and like work out problems or, you know, just figure out a challenge that I'm facing together means a lot. Um, And it's definitely not something I take for granted. But I do believe like you need to be like kind of on the same page or in similar paths in order to have that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've definitely been in very short, as we've uh, said, relationships, um, situationships, untitled relationships, where um, uh, we're we're totally like we come from different backgrounds. And so we have different expectations or ambitions around money. And that has been there's been a lot of tension Mm -hmm. uh, around that. But I also think on the flip side of what you're describing, which is really wonderful in so many ways, is the fact that then you're like not really escape and mm-hmm. escape's not the right word but like yeah you you're not really getting away from that you're not, there's no real like solace from your life as a founder yeah which yeah it can be kind of exhausting yeah no for sure it is exhausting but i think just because they're two separate businesses like we're not talking about the same things all mm-hmm. the time um that helps but it is really hard to kind of like switch off everything and be in, in the present i think I think it comes with the territory of being a founder sometimes, just yeah. that you're constantly consumed by your business. Yeah. And so like that, that's actually something that I'm thinking a lot about right now, you know, as I'm getting ready to have this baby in two months, it's like, what are the things that I want to be taking my energy away from being with my child? And if those things aren't making me super happy and I'm not super fulfilled by them, then I need to let them go. Yeah. Because I'm not going to come home and constantly be thinking about this business. That's not more important than my child. Yeah. Right. Which I think is like just a a wonderful thing about having children is they're just forced um, boundaries there that may for some people be otherwise difficult to create. Yeah, it's perspective. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's not just like a child. It's like there's different things that come into your life, like even for you, like a new relationship. And it's like, oh, like I have a new relationship now. Like I have to put some boundaries on my life. And now it's not just always about me. It's like, how can I also support my partner? Mm -hmm. Um, So whether it's a child, a new job, a new relationship, whatever like change it is, I think it's a great opportunity that life gives us to kind of like 
take inventory of where we're spending our time and like reshift, reprioritize certain things. Yeah. And then like come back to a new path because yeah. all of those moments of change, if you're not changing from it, then like, what are you yeah, doing? Yeah, totally. And as a single person, like I would always tell myself, and by single, I mean like, you know, unmarried without family. Like I'll always tell myself that it's okay to say no to things. Like I'll, also, I'll often imagine if I did have a family or if I had other like obligations other than myself at all, would I allow myself to say no to this event that I'm being invited to or this call that, you know, to pick my brain that I'm being asked to um, attend to? Like, so I think everyone has the right to afford themselves the freedom to to say no and to um, create their priorities and to create intense focus. Um, but yeah, I guess ultimately that just comes down to believing that you and or the other person or parties that are involved in that decision making are like worthy of uh, that no yeah. that time. Definitely yeah. comes down to self-worth. Self-worth is a massive topic. Yeah. yeah. It's a really, it's a really tough one, I think. And sometimes you have it in one side of like the personal or professional side. Sometimes you have tremendous self-worth on the personal side and, and not on the professional and, and vice versa. But it's, it's something that takes a lot of work. And I think it depends if you have it, it really, a lot of the kind of like life experiences that you had at a young age, whether it's from childhood or your first job, how you were treated by your first boss, all of those things, they really make an impact on your worth, right? And so like, I unfortunately did not have the privilege of having like a great first boss, you know, was constantly like undermined for, I don't know, being a woman, being young or whatever, not getting the salary that I thought I deserved. And then it started to have an adverse effect on my self-worth when it came to career. Mm -hmm. But on the flip side of that, for some reason, I've always had a very high self-worth and standard from personal relationships and always had like the most I, I believe like incredible like boyfriends who I was treated very well by who I'm friends with still to this day. So I think it's just an interesting like juxtaposition of like the kind of things and experiences that happen along in your life and how that affects like your worth on both sides of the equation. Is there anything that you do like day to day spiritually or a faith practice or something you believe in or journaling or meditation or anything that you do. It sounds like your walk in and of itself is kind of like your own meditative. Yeah, meditative. But is there anything you do to kind of ground yourself into these things and like feel, like you said, every single day is like what you're trying to make joyful, which I completely agree and that every day might need something different. But is there anything that you tactfully do like I mean I more or less do the same thing every day (laughs) really I do I love routine I think this again goes back to my childhood I just like really thrive in a state of stability um, and reliability but I love to start every morning with time with myself Um, so you know I don't look at my phone the first thing when I wake up still in the bed on the bathroom none of those (laughs) none of those and none of those things and I usually work out first thing in the morning so I have you know a solid and and I walk to and from the gym or I do my walk or run east west um, and back Uh, I have a coffee by myself so yeah I spend like a good chunk of the early morning with me with uh, New York, with the strangers of New York that I say hi to. Uh, And so I feel like I fill my tank a little bit before 
the day even gets going, maybe before it gets depleted by some things that I mm -hmm. don't enjoy doing or people I don't enjoy interacting with. And I cook a lot, um, which I really find meditative and enjoyable. So nothing, nothing crazy, nothing but that's extraordinary. Usually, but. but I feel like that is extraordinary because it's about finding the amazing things in like the day to day that it's like. I remember when I first started to like meditate, my friend and I would always joke, we'd be like, we would wake up at like 3 a.m. to write a screenplay before breakfast. Like, you know, because you start to add all these like yeah. really crazy things to like feel a certain way. And it's just like, that's not really sustainable. But being able to find things that you enjoy doing that bring you back to yourself that you can do day to day that are productive in your life is, yeah. I think, a part of yeah, and it's also Winning. really beautiful to find beauty in simplicity, right? You're not spending money. You're not doing anything like with your phone. You're not like actively doing. You're just being and you're content and fulfilled by it, which I think is something we all really strive for. It's that feeling of like inner peace kind of like take over where you just lift up your own cup internally and you're not relying on anything external like dopamine hits, like checking social media, getting a like, yeah. like getting someone to talk to you, like all that kind of stuff. You're relying on yourself, which is, in my opinion, like a yeah. best definition of fulfillment. Yeah, yeah, I was going to ask, because you said this earlier, that you quite enjoy being with yourself. And that was something that I actually learned in New York. It's like learn how to be alone and love it. It's not where you meditate, you know, you do all these things, you walk, but do you like, I struggle with monkey mind. Like sometimes I'll like hear something and I'm like, whoa, like what was, that was crazy. <laughs> like, why did I just say that? You know, or whatever it is, like how, I guess you're telling me how in these ways, like it's, it, has that been something you've had to like work toward to really keep your mind at ease and not, cause we all have that voice that the can, inner critic. Yeah. That yeah. can be really yeah, all over the place. there's a great book that I read every year, which is why it's so embarrassing. I cannot think of the title of it right now. <laughs> Do you know who um, it's by? Michael, I want to say Michael Singer. Untethered, Untethered Soul. Soul. Thank you. Untethered yeah. Soul. Exactly. I, we oh love my that gosh. Book. Wait, I is it by it. Michael Singer? No, yes, yeah, it wow. is. Yeah, yeah, that's wild that I couldn't think of it and then it immediately came. But yes, uh, Untethered Soul. Right, so you know. So there, it's like you have these two people who are existing all the time, which is like yep. yeah, wild when you when you actually notice it happening. Yeah. Um, yeah, I can. T I have a tendency to get like very attached to one thing, and then that's like all that I'm consumed by. Yeah, and it, and I don't mean so generally as like my company. Uh, I mean like very specifically. Like I'm obsessed with coffee sales or whatever, and so I just can't stop thinking about coffee sales. But I think you know, just having the awareness around that happening, and then trying to divert yourself away from that is yeah the key first step. My last question before we get to our actual last question is, because you've brought this up a few times, but I think it's actually really served you, is you seem to have rules and rigidity around certain things and routine and, in other words, boundaries. Like, it sounds like it's really served you to do those things, like to go to dinner every Thursday, was it, and like not be on your phone. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my therapist would be really proud. It's like everything goes back to my childhood. But I I didn't have rules or rigidity growing up. Um, I was just sort of left to do like whatever I wanted, which 90% of the time was did not result in wise decisions. So I think creating those rules and rigidity now for myself made me feel cared for. It's like mm. it, it's the discipline maybe that I, that I needed and that I craved. And I think it's kind of special that I can give it to myself 
So yeah, I, I try to have less rules where it's not necessary. The rules got kind of crazy um, <laughs> for, for a while. <laughs> yeah, because so my thing is, is with rules and routine, and I have the maybe similar, but dissimilar with my therapist. It's like when it doesn't go according to plan and when my fantasy or my routine doesn't go according to plan, I get very like yeah mood like mood mm-hmm. shift right away or like like you're saying like every day I walk alone or every Thursday I go for dinner and but then an investor puts a meeting on your calendar Thursday at 6 p.m. it's like how do you, you say be no. like you yeah. say you say no Absolutely. right okay no, so interesting. that's my walk and time. are you hard on yourself if you if you accidentally break a rule if I do yeah because that's something I struggle with where yeah. I'm like uh, like I just which is not productive yeah. but even if it's like for me for example like I also have this like routine that I love like walking to Pilates every morning and then LA it rains and then I don't get to walk <laughs> and then I'm like I take a car I hate cars right I'm like a traditional New Yorker and now I'm like driving there and I didn't walk outside at all today I didn't get any fresh air and I'm like my mood has shifted yeah so how do you like not allow yourself to shift and be like, it's okay, I have my routine, but it's not going to happen today? Yeah, I'm working on that. I mean, honestly, I think that's one of the beautiful things about being in a relationship is now you have a mirror and I'm like, ooh, I am ugly, Emily, <laughs> when, you know, when things don't go my way or whatever. And it's like, I don't want to be ugly, Emily, anymore. So now I'm working to fix that. <laughs> Relationships are hard. Yeah. Especially but- when you meet in your 30s. I think it's like so different. It's such a different... Well, you're so set in your in your ways. In your ways. And for me and my boyfriend, we've both been single for a really long time. So, you know, like just moving in together, it's like, you know, whose silverware are we going to use? Like, well, I love my silverware. Well, I love my silverware. <laughs> and he noticed the other morning that like, oh, he's like, you're still using your mug and your spoon, huh? Like, is this how we're going to yeah. coexist? You know, just like doing our own things, but like together. Together. Yeah. So alone so, together. It'll be a process. New York City. Yeah. yeah. I it love is. that. Yeah. I think there there's a balance between having a routine because I think it grounds you having a routine. But then also like when it doesn't go according to routine, it's like, okay, yeah. move on. Except yeah. life's yeah. not in my control. All these things are not in my control. Yeah. Uh life is happening for me. Yeah. Like, not yeah. to me. All of those like universal Well, you have things. a duality because earlier you're like, I'm not really afraid of failing, but you are, seems like you can be a little bit tough on yourself with the rules. So it's like. Yeah, I'm definitely tough. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, I think rules and routine are like, have provided me security. Mm-hmm. So I think it's just an acknowledgement that maybe that security blanket is not needed anymore and that there is support system that I've now created you know that can serve as that that's really beautiful I think we should end on that note like having the security blanket come full circle from everything that you've been working on and now you don't need the rigidity anymore because now you have that yeah so just like call me up whenever I'm free you know no (laughs) there you go Emily (laughs) Um, knock on my door (laughs) (laughs) so we end every podcast with our final question, which is, what's your point? I think, I mean, based on this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for today. Yeah. It's ever evolving. Uh, I do. I really think it's um, it's a sense of belonging and creating that for myself, selfishly, and hopefully for other people uh, who need it as well. 
Beautiful. Amazing. Thank you so much, Thank Emily. Thank you. Thank you, guys. This was so fun. This is so fun. Love Hopefully it. it was as fun for you as it was for us. <laughs> You have so much wisdom. So much wisdom, and we love it. We're here for it. it. Well, anytime you want to come back. (laughs) Thank Thank you. Thank you.